Good morning. Whether you're joining us over the live stream or here in person, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, one of the co-lead ministers here at the church, and I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. We're so glad you've joined us. If you're joining us online and you have the ability to do so, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. If you're here with us in person, we invite you to join us for coffee and conversation after the service. That's in Housen Hall, which is out these double doors through the triple doors and then to your right. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite those of you online to greet the holy among us in the comments and those here in person to do the same by turning to those around you. Shall we say the words for lighting the chalice together? This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning is from Reverend Dr. David Breeden. He is the senior minister of the First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> he has written several books on theological topics and translates the writings of philosophers of classical antiquity, and he is of European ancestry. When it feels like lament is the only sound and need, the only way of being, here is that one warm room where you know you belong. You know is waiting, open, ready. Here is that place you remember where you are remembered in this too cold world. This place calls now, softly. Come into the circle where you know that you belong. This religious community has a common purpose. It drives our decision-making. It drives our ministries and programs. We put it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Now this story, we were reading this story, my kids and I were read, they were reading to me while I was driving. I wasn't trying to read and drive, but they were reading it to me while we were driving. And we decided this story that we're reading today called The Big Umbrella, it's kind of like a riddle. And we're going to make lots of room for everyone here. We're going to scooch in so that everyone fits. Come on up. Thanks, y'all. So this, this book is kind of like a riddle. It's kind of like has a hidden meaning. And I think for today... We're going to think about the hidden meaning being that this umbrella is like the people in our church. And as we're reading the story, we want to think about how can we be this big umbrella for each other, okay? So this story is by Amy June Bates and her daughter, Juniper Bates, who was only in seventh grade when she wrote this book with her mom. 
by the front door, there is an umbrella. It is big. It is a big, friendly umbrella. It likes to help. Does that sound like us? It likes to spread its arms wide. It loves to give shelter. It loves to gather people in. It doesn't matter if you are tall. Thank goodness. (laughs) Or hairy. Or plaid. It doesn't matter how many legs you have. Some people worry that there won't be enough room under the big umbrella. What do you think? The amazing thing is, there is. Now it's time for this morning's reading. It's by John A. Powell. He's the director of the Haas Institute for a Fair and Inclusive Society and professor of law, American and ethnic studies at the University of California, Berkeley. He is the author of Racing to Justice, Transforming Our Concepts of Self and Other to Build an Inclusive Society. There was a headline in a newspaper several years ago saying, we're entering a state where for the first time in over 350 years, the world will be led by a non-Christian, non-white country. And what it was saying is, we should be afraid. So the early debates around integrating schools, the white segregationists were, we can't have integrated schools because black and white children might get to know each other and might marry each other and have babies. The white segregationists were right. You bring people together, they will actually learn to love each other. Some of them will marry and have children. And so it will actually change the fabric of society. When people worry that having gays in our community will change what marriage really means, actually they're right. When people worry that having a lot of Latinos in the United States will change the United States, they're right. We're constantly making each other. So part of it is that our fear that we're holding on to something and the other is going to change it. The other is going to change it. But we're going to change the other. And if we do it right, we're going to create a bigger we, a different we. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together We breathe together. And breathing together, we feel the loving, the loving presence all around us, even through virtual space. 
breathing in and breathing out. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, that place where a spark of the divine resides within us, where the river of love in our universe flows through us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that in this congregation, the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of that silence. Breathing together, we enter into that time of sacred silence together. I invite you now to light candles, candles of joy, sorrow, remembrance, hope. Bye. 
58% of Americans report feeling lonely most of the time. 50% also say they feel no one knows them well. This pervasive loneliness began before the pandemic and has only been made worse by it. And though we don't yet know its full impact yet, long COVID is also adding to this sense of separation and isolation as people are unable to work and socialize. Tracy Thompson is one such person who tells her story with the hopes that it will draw attention to this. Tracy was a chef, but after having COVID, she finds herself so weak that she can only stand for a few minutes at a time. Obviously, she can't work as a chef anymore. She's unemployed, mostly homebound. She says that she feels lonely almost all the time. And hers is only one of so many such stories. We don't yet know how many people in this country are suffering from long COVID. Still others remain homebound because of immune system or other health issues that mean they would be at risk for more severe consequences were they to contract COVID. So if you think of folks here at the church who may be in this situation that you haven't seen for a while, let's reach out. There are folks in this church that are dealing with all of this. As soon as the weather cooperates more, we'll try to put together some outdoor activities so that others can come and join us and feel safer. I mentioned, though, that there was this epidemic of loneliness even before the pandemic started, and I want to share with you some of the research behind what's driving that sense of isolation. And the very first one, the very first one that researchers mention is racism and other forms of systemic oppression. We have largely ended the laws that required segregation many years ago, but we have de facto segregation now, as people of different races and ethnicities still live apart, and we have laws that are more subtle that still encourage segregation. The thing is, our well-being is bound up with each other. So these systemic, oppressive structures that separate us rob us all of deeper connection, of belonging, and the creative, authentic self we can only become when we are in relationship with other people who have very different life experiences than our own. John A. Powell, whom we heard from in our reading earlier, says it this way, The human condition is one about belonging. We simply cannot thrive unless we are in relationship. How we define the other affects how we define ourselves. And so, when we define the other at the extreme, it means we have to cut off large parts of our own self. A second driver of our isolation is what is sometimes called sorting. 
It's similar to our separateness due to race and other identities, but in this case, more and more of us are moving to places and only engaging in social groups with people who look, sound, behave, and believe ideologically in much the same way as we do. In 1976, less than 25% of Americans lived in a county where one or the other presidential candidates won the vote by a landslide. By 2016, over 80% of us lived in such a county. Brene Brown says that fitting in is the opposite of belonging. She goes on to say that this sorting that we're doing is just another way that we're finding to try to fit in rather than to show up as our authentic selves, be willing to stand alone and speak our own truths. I'm going to let you hear what she has to say about this. One is we are more sorted than we have ever been in the history of the U.S. We have built ideological bunkers. We are more likely now to live with, worship with, and go to school with people who are politically and ideologically Mm like-minded. You would think a natural result of sorting ourselves into these factions would be closer ties, more connection. But as it turns out, as sorting grows, so does loneliness. Mm -hmm. So we're becoming more lonely as we're becoming more balkanized. It seems to apply not only to that also, but what you read, what you watch, what you hear. Everything. It's, It's ideological bunkers and echo chambers. But what's interesting about what happens behind those is it's not, it's counterfeit connection. It's not real connection. All it is, I call it common enemy intimacy. The only thing we have in common is we hate the same people. Amen, Brene. The final driver that I'd like to mention of our isolation is what investigative journalist and self-described troublemaker George Monbiot calls the restoration story of the neoliberal state that promised to bring us opportunity, wealth, and harmony. It has failed us. It has failed us because it is based in radical capitalistic competition. It has failed us because it is based in rampant individualism that again keeps us separated. And all of this loneliness, this isolation, my friends, it's terrible for us. It can result in so many physical and psychological issues, including high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, and on and on. In fact, prolonged isolation is even associated with higher mortality rates. So, how do we find our way back to connection and belonging Well, oddly enough, the research says that we start to reverse those trends that I was just talking about that isolate us in the first place, that separate us from one another. So first, we dismantle systems of white supremacy culture and other forms of systemic oppression, and that begins with ourselves and our own institutions. That's why Unitarian Universalists at one of our recent general assemblies established the Unitarian Universalist Association, or UUA, Commission on Institutional Change. That commission 
issued a report called Widening the Circle of Concern. I can only give you a very brief overview of its focus areas today. The complete report can be found at the UUA website, uua.org. Here's where they ask us to focus. On a theology of mutual collective liberation rooted in covenantal accountable accountability. Covenants are promises we make to one another about how we will walk together in the ways of love. Covenants are ways of structuring belonging and restoring it when it has gotten ruptured. They ask us to focus on our governance and have a governance that emphasizes inclusiveness and rooting out supremacy culture embedded within our governance structures and the way that we do things such as congregational meetings. Likewise, they urge inclusiveness and diversity within our ministers and other religious professionals. One of the ways that we can create belonging is when folks see themselves reflected in our leadership and decision-making structures. They urge us to focus on hospitality and inclusion. They say, we are running away some of the folks who would otherwise be a part of our growth as a faith. And they say that one of the major factors behind that is what's called microaggressions. That's when we say or do something with a good intent, possibly even mean it as a compliment, but we have a blind spot. And so the impact it has on the person to whom we're talking or behaving towards is not what we intended and is negative. Here's some examples of microaggressions, quotes they quote from within our own churches to someone of a different ethnicity that was born in the U.S. Where are you really from? To a person of color, you must be new to Unitarian Universalism. Again, to a person of color, welcome. Do you want to join the racial justice team? They recommend training on microaggressions, how we can avoid them and interrupt them if we witness them. I have to tell you, this church lost a valuable member and leader a few years back exactly because they encountered these sorts of microaggressions. They urge us to live our values and they want us to think about how us becoming more equitable, inclusive, and diverse is a key component of our social justice efforts. And to do that, they also say we have to educate for liberation. Some examples here in this church is we have a group reading together and discussing a book about dismantling white supremacy. Our board of trustees studies together race-related issues each year. And several people in the church are attending a Unitarian Universalist Jubilee training that's coming up as a joint effort in our area. This training was actually designed by one of the people that first came up with our eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism that drives us to break down systems of white supremacy and other forms of oppression. If you want more information, we have some coming out, and please feel free to speak with me about it. 
They also urge us to engage in innovation and risk-taking. They ask us to ask ourselves, how might we change our worship so that it is less rooted in a white Protestant ethos and feel? They urge us toward restoration, acknowledging when harm has been done and making amends for that harm. And finally, they urge us to focus on accountability and putting together the resources for that accountability. Making anti-oppression explicit in our governing documents and structures, monitoring ourselves in these areas, and again, providing the resources we will need to be able to do that. Again, that short overview doesn't do the report justice. Please read it. We can use its recommendations and the resources that it provides in our own work as we have adopted the eighth principle. Well, the next way we reverse our loneliness is to start to break down that sorting, those silos I was talking about. I love that author and social worker and researcher Brene Brown starts by giving this work a spiritual context. She says, spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. She goes on to say that to break those silos down, first, first, we have to learn to be true to ourselves, to be willing to risk not fitting in. And she again frames this as spiritual when she says, true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. She gives us four ways to break down the silos. The first, she says, people are hard to hate close up. Move in. Get out of our silos. Interact with folks with whom we differ, but with boundaries around not dehumanizing each other. And after taking the time to study about how to have those difficult and courageous conversations. Two, speak truth to bullshit, be civil. (laughs) I was going to say her words, not mine, but you love the words, so. All right. We have to interrupt lies. We have to contradict misleading information. We must step in when we witness harmful statements. But again, dehumanizing doesn't help. Personal attacks doesn't help. Part of being civil is sometimes realizing that people often don't even know they are repeating BS. One caveat I would make, when a person of color or someone from another oppressed group is having their own human rights and even their own safety threatened, we cannot expect civility in all of those cases. Third, she says, hold hands with strangers. Keep that intimate knowledge that we all have of our inextricable connection in our hearts 
always and reach out, especially during the hard times and, again, especially to people whom we may not agree with. She gives the example of when her neighborhood was working together to help each other after a hurricane. She says nobody asked someone, how did you vote before they helped them? Finally, she says we should keep a strong back, soft front, wild heart. We can be vulnerable, compassionate, and kind with others even as we maintain our own boundaries and integrity. We can nurture our wild hearts, show up with vulnerability and courage, show up being both fierce and kind, struggle for justice while also diving into our creativity and experiencing joy. Well, finally, to escape our loneliness, that proud troublemaker I mentioned earlier says that we must replace that failed neoliberal story with a new restoration story based upon belonging and cooperation instead of extreme individualism and competition. He points out numerous scientific fields are finding out that we are actually hardwired for altruism and cooperation, so this should be possible. I'll let you listen to him describe that new restoration story. What we need to create is a community based on bridging networks, not bonding networks. Now, a bonding network brings together people from a homogenous group, whereas a bridging network brings together people from different groups. And my belief is that if we create sufficiently rich and vibrant bridging communities, we can thwart the urge for people to burrow into the security of a homogenous bonding community defending themselves against the other. So, in summary, our new story could go something like this. Disorder afflicts the land, caused by the powerful and nefarious forces of people who say there's no such thing as society, who tell us that our highest purpose in life is to fight like stray dogs over a dustbin. But the heroes of the story, us, will revolt against this disorder. We will fight those nefarious forces by building rich, engaging, inclusive, and generous communities. And in doing so, we will restore harmony to the land. My friends... That is not just a political and ideological restoration story. It is religious. It is spiritual. Because only by working to create belonging for everyone will we come to know full and true belonging ourselves. That's religious. So much of building the beloved community involves creating that true sense of belonging for all. And in this church, we begin with that word, together. Together. Together in bridging community. Rich, engaging, inclusive, and generous community. Together, we nourish souls transform lives, and do justice. That, my beloveds, 
is a religious, a spiritual restoration story of mutual belonging and abundant love. And now, let's say the words for extinguishing the chalice together. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold on our hearts until we are together again. May your longing to be your core, most authentic self call you to create and be absorbed within belonging. I wish you peace, love, and joy. May the congregation say amen. Amen. And blessed be. be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.